Welcome to Season 4 of Writers' Festival Radio, broadcasting from the unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg. My name is Sean Wilson. I'm the Artistic Director of the Ottawa International Writers' Festival, Canada's Festival of Ideas since 1997. Thank you for supporting authors and booksellers and each other. Today on Writers' Festival Radio, we're bringing you a conversation between Susan Johnston, host of Friday Special Blend on CHUO, and Ottawa author Mark Frutkin. Mark is the author of four books of poetry, three non-fiction works, and nine novels, including Fabrizio's Return, winner of the Trillium Book Award, and Atmosfera Polinaire, which was shortlisted for the Governor General's Award, the Trillium, and the Ottawa Book Award. Here's what Nino Ricci has to say about his latest novel. The artist in the assassin reads like a thriller, one that thrills as much through its insights on Caravaggio's painting as through the drama of his life. Mark Frutkin has given us a compelling portrait of Caravaggio and his world, one that beautifully captures the mix of darkness and light that so defined both his life and his work. We'll begin with a taste of the prose before Susan and Mark talk history, art, research, and how darkness illuminates the light. This is a reading from The Artist and the Assassin. And the chapters in the book go back and forth from a chapter by the assassin, a chapter with focus on the artist, who is Caravaggio. And uh, the beginning of the book begins with a chapter of the assassin. This is Rome, 1600. I am the cloud in the sky, and you, artist, the cloud shadow scurrying over the earth. I'm the cloud over your shoulder, sailing through the heavens, encountering no resistance. I carry lightly the thoughts, the belief of a man who has never known doubt, while you, Michelangelo Merisi da Caravaggio, are the shadow of the cloud on the earth, rolling up and down hills as you try to escape. Where cloud and cloud shadow meet will be your end. He has me posing as a saint, me, Luca Passarelli, with a thief for a father and my mother a wet nurse. To be precise, he wants me playing Saint Matthew, Matthew, the one called by Christ from the streets to his spiritual life as an apostle. I sit at a table in the vaulted cellar of a palazzo belonging to one Cardinal Del Monte. I'm waiting with the artist's other models several older louts and two young men, boys really, snappily dressed in silks, wealthy punks out slumming with the likes of us. The artist chooses to pose me as the apostle and saint. If you can imagine that, me, a saint, I would qualify for a saint's vow of poverty, certainly, but not by choice. Me with my one set of worn, flea-ridden clothing, a shirt, a tunic, and a pair of hose with holes in the knees has made me up to look older than I am, and I am no Jew, though Matthew was. Altogether, seven of us pose in this cellar. Two of the models stand across the room representing Jesus and Peter. Christ himself is pointing at me. The rest of us sit around the table counting the coins I gathered as if we were preparing for a night of gambling. I am the focus, me, posing as Matthew, known as Levi the tax collector in the ancient stories. 
The light shines on me and on the young scamp to my left, one of the artist's favorites, I hear. I wonder if he is betting the boy. Could be. I wouldn't be surprised, but I can't say for sure. Michelangelo Merisi, this artist from a little village called Caravaggio near Milan, stands across the room, gazing into his enormous canvas and working it, licking his brush before stabbing it again into his palette and occasionally glancing out at us models posed around the table. His eyes are sharp. He bites his lip. He wears his thick black hair, longish in the front, youthful style. A small window of this cellar is covered by a sheet of paper soaked in olive oil. I watched him early the first morning, pour the oil over the sheet in a large pan. I could smell it, expensive stuff enough oil for a family of six for a month. The old guy sitting to my right complained on the second afternoon, why not make a quick drawing and let us out of here? Finish the painting in your studio. Maurice didn't even look up from his palette when he replied in a flat voice, I don't draw. He offered no more than that. Not I cannot draw, but I don't draw. No explanation, no apology, nothing as if we were made of clay and he the creator. What kind of artist is he then? I'm no expert, but it seems to me an artist should at least have a skill to draw. We sit here day after day as he vanishes into that other room and his huge canvas. <clears throat> it must be more than 10 feet across, coming out once in a while to look at us. We are statues to him, models, actors, our lives disappearing, dissolving into thin air, vanishing into his great work. We are worth less than drying pigment. Stop moving, he warns when one of the boys adjusts his seat. As long as he keeps putting coins in my pocket, I will sit here and put up with it, but I don't have to like it. So that was a description of um, the painting that is on the cover of the book, or a portion of the painting, um, which is called The, the Calling of St. Matthew. And um, it's a very typical um, Caravaggio painting in the sense that it's um, a lot of black, a lot of very, very deep blacks, but also some brilliant spots uh, brought out in, in a bright light. So it's a very typical um, style that Caravaggio invented called chiaroscuro, dark and light. So the, the light brings out the blackness and blackness sparks up the light. You've got a line in there as well, I think just following about nature being his teacher, not the old masters. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now that's that's true, and the the other thing the other thing about Caravaggio's work that really attracted me right from the very beginning, um, when I saw many Caravaggios in Italy and uh, in at the Met in New York, and even some at the National Gallery for some special shows. Um, the other thing, like I said, that, about his work that attracted me is the fact that every single one of his paintings tells a story. He's not just, you know, going into some kind of abstract 
um, approach. But, for example, if he was going to paint a, a painting of a martyr, um, he wouldn't show that martyr ascending into heaven um, in some kind of spiritual, you know, uplifted quality. He would show that martyr getting his throat slit. <laughs> He'd show the story behind the murder of the martyr. And um, it's, it's very typical of his work. It's, it's very dramatic and um, very much storytelling sense. How did you know, Mark, that it was time to write this book in particular? How did it come to you? I think over the years, I had always been interested in Caravaggio's work. And um, at some point, I, I think I read a biography of his life. Um, and that kind of, I started to think, oh, oh, I could, I could do something very interesting with this. And the, the kind of the opening for me to decide it was, I could do a novel about Caravaggio was the fact that there was a certain amount of mystery around his death. And um, I mean, some, some um, historians, uh, art historians will will claim that they know what happened um, in in terms of his dying, but it's not it's not fixed. It's it's very very questionable what happened at the end of his life, and that opening uh, was kind of perfect for a fiction writer. <laughs> and so I was able to work with these two characters who go back and forth in the book. Um, the the First, um, from the point of view of the assassin uh, in, the, in the first person, and the story of Caravaggio. The, you've got the, the story written from your characters. And I suppose one of the questions that comes to mind, and I know you've written a lot about Italy over the years, um, but... I think in my perfect world, I would like to time travel with you, Mark. And but you know, at least for now, understand the you've got so much depth in terms of daily life um, at the uh, at the time of Caravaggio and of the the artistic craft, and frankly, of the gore. And I, I wonder mm -hmm. if you can take us a bit on a, a journey about how you. Um, how you learned and how you wove so much of this beauty into the book. Well, I, uh, I learned by reading everything that's ever been written about Caravaggio. <laughs> I do a lot of research for my books. Um, and, you know, there's, there's also some very uh, useful books out there that have been put together. Like uh, I read one, I believe it was called um, Everyday Life in, in 1600 Rome. And so you read a book like that and you get all sorts of, you know, images, um, pictures of what, what the city was like at that time. And I actually lived in Rome um, for um, almost a year, um, spending my third year of university there. And I've been back a number of times. And it's a, it's a very ancient city and there's still a lot of Roman ruins there. So, um, you know, a lot of, very old buildings and a lot of streets that look the same still as they did when Caravaggio was around. 
what goes in then to to crafting a villain from this this point in time? I want to know about Caravaggio too, but I think we should start with the dark side. Yeah, well, the assassin Luca. Um, Luca was he was hired as a model by Caravaggio because I had read that Caravaggio um, tended to um, use street people as his models because they were cheap. They came cheap. And um, and he didn't have much money until he hit it big, which he did it at one point. But um, um, so um, Luca, the assassin, was um, just a guy living on the street. And so he came cheap and Caravaggio was interested in his his face, just the look of his face. And um, Luca was already had done work as an assassin, killing people here and there when he was hired to, you know, to do it with his with his. And so at some point, um, Caravaggio himself had a terrible temper. And um, when he was living in Rome, he would have to go out into the streets and look for a fight just to burn off his energy. And uh, at one of these fights um, in the story, I have him uh, stumble across um, a man who is um, sleeping with his girlfriend and his, his lover. And, and there's a lot of jealousy involved there. And so Caravaggio kills him with his sword on the street. And then he has to flee Rome because he's um, being hunted down and they, you know, they want to hang him uh, for this murder. And um, the family of the man that he kills hires Luca to try and hunt him down um, as he has fled to Naples. And so Luca goes down to Naples and, and other places to, to start hunting uh, for Caravaggio to kill him. And so that's how, you know, the story of the assassin um, was worked in around the story of the artist. Now, Mark, what were your own hopes for the book? You set out on to write um, uh, a powerful novel here. Where, what did you want it to do? Or what was your, your own intent? Well, I wanted to, you know, um, introduce people to this to the fascinating story of Caravaggio's life. Um, that was the main thing. But I, you know, as a fiction writer, I also wanted the personalities of Caravaggio, the artist. He was, I mean, he was a very fascinating person. But um, the the name Michelangelo had already been taken by another artist. <laughs> Um, about who lived about 80 years before Caravaggio. And um, so he, when, when he started doing his art, he, he would um, call himself Caravaggio after the village, which was a typical kind of thing for people to do because we have, uh, you know, um, Leonardo da Vinci, which means Leonardo from the village of Vinci. And this, in this case, it's uh, Michelangelo da Caravaggio, um, but he stuck with just Caravaggio. So, 
And he was um, orphaned at about age eight or 10. Both his parents had died, and he was raised by his uncle on a farm uh, near the village of Caravaggio. And early on, he showed tremendous skill, uh, artistic skill. And this was noticed by the local priest. And he was eventually, um, you know, sent to Milan to study with an artist, um, a, a well-known artist at the time. And, uh, but this man was a, a bit of a heavy, heavy-handed teacher. And uh, that comes out in the book too, how uh, <laughs> he, gets, he gets a terrible beating. And, uh, and eventually he leaves this uh, art, art teacher and um, goes to Rome. Um, he's, you know, like 17 or something and goes to Rome where many, many of the artists of Italy of the day would go to Rome because that's where most of them could get commissions from the church. Um, the many, many churches in the city of Rome would commission local artists to do paintings of saints and religious scenes and stuff like that. And so it was, um, it was a good place for artists to make money. And eventually he meets, um, he's connected with a cardinal who becomes his patron. And he ends up living uh, in, in this cardinal's palazzo. And that's where the scene that I read uh, took place in the, in the uh, cellar, the basement of this palazzo where Caravaggio decides to do this particular painting because he wanted it to be dark all around except for this, this beam of light that comes in the window. Now, you've written a book about the dark and light sides of humanity, recognizing that uh, there are uh, there is light where there is dark and vice versa. And you're writing about an artistic process that was revolutionary at the time. I'm curious about your journey of like writing Caravaggio. And we talked a bit about your research before, but what kinds of things came across your mind um, as you were as you were approaching the work? Well, I've, I've read a lot about Caravaggio, as I mentioned, um, several biographies and stuff about his art, and I looked at his art a lot and um, and I've traveled um, to various places to do research. Um, back to Rome again. I've been to Naples, where he fled when he murdered that man. Um, he eventually went to Sicily. I've been to Sicily um, because when when I spent my third year in in Italy and living in Rome, um, the school there, which was a, a branch of Loyola University of Chicago. Um, they had this campus in Rome, and they allowed us incredible vacation times so we could travel. I mean, we got um, at American Thanksgiving, uh, late November, we got three weeks off to travel. And then at Christmas, we got a full month. And then at Easter, we got three weeks again. And then we got um, five three-day weekends in the spring. And... Um, I used all of these 
these vacation times that travel all around Italy and, um, you know, including Milan where um, Caravaggio studied and, um, and other points south. So, yeah, so it was a, a kind of my background um, that, I, that I knew Italian personality, Italian culture, and I had written a number of other books as you mentioned, set in Italy, um, including other, mostly other novels, but including um, a book of photography where I wrote the text. And a, a friend of mine, Vincenzo Pietro Paolo, a, a well-known photographer from Toronto, who was born in Italy, um, he did the photographs, and it was uh, the book is called the evocation uh, where angels come to earth an evocation of the italian piazza and so we traveled he and i three times to italy and went all over Italy, kind of like the living rooms of these small towns and of course caravaggio spent some time in piazzas and so i knew piazzas <laughs> You're listening to Writers Festival Radio. As always, I want to thank you for listening and for supporting authors and booksellers through these difficult times. Our official bookseller is Perfect Books on Elgin Street, and wherever you are right now, there's an independent bookseller nearby who would be more than happy to sell you some great books. If you enjoy the podcast or any of our virtual programming, please consider making a charitable donation. We can't do this without your support. And now, back to the conversation. What kinds of challenges did you face while you were uh, going about the writing process, Mark? Um, challenges. Um, I'm not sure how I can address that. There's always any any writer faces challenges. You know, when, okay, where do I take it from here? What happens next? But um, in in the in this. Um, the story of Caravaggio, there's enough biographical information that I was able to, even though I was writing fiction, I was, you know, you know, I was in on people's conversations so I could talk about what they said. Um, I could have directions before me. So the next step and the next step and the next step um, was kind of set out because there are bios about his life. And so uh, I've done that a number of times in, in a number of my books where I come across some well-known person and kind of write a fiction about their life. And so that's what I've done about Caravaggio. And when you think about what brought you joy from the experience, are there moments from the writing process that you might be in a position to take us back to about um, yeah, pieces that you particularly loved doing or were happy with? Um, I loved um, doing the, the ending of the book. It was, um, it was such, a, such a fun thing to write. There's this um, kind of a chase between that I, that I prefigure in the very beginning of the book, the piece I read there about the cloud kind of shows that story about um, Luca the assassin chasing down Caravaggio the artist 
and the ending is i won't give it away but it's it was a very fun to write the absolute end of the book and go okay there it is <laughs> when you were reading about Caravaggio and then writing Caravaggio, were there any elements that that you discovered that surprised you? Well, I was surprised to learn that um, that he had such a temper um, that this great artist was, you know, a, a flawed human being. Um, he had a, you know, very, very difficult personality um was easy to anger quick to anger kind of he was kind of overwhelmed by his own energy um you know some of it some of that energy went into creating art but sometimes he would be completely overwhelmed by it and i was i was quite shocked to see that he had actually murdered someone on the streets of rome um with with a sword and um and so he that's when he had to flee and he went to Naples and then Malta and then Sicily and then back to Naples and and then apparently died on the way from Naples to Rome. But that is up in the air as well. That's really unclear exactly what happened there. How like it sounds to me like some of the core elements of the characters of our assassin and our artist here are quite similar. These these two aren't entirely different. Um, that's that's true in a sense. Although the assassin, um, you know, made a, his his art was murdering people, um, whereas Caravaggio only did it once and kind of kind of by accident. Um, I mean, he was in a fight, but uh, he, I don't think he actually intended to kill the guy, but he did. And um, but the assassin, I mean, his whole life was, you know, making an art out of murdering people. Okay. And so but also in the book, I kind of explore the the um, personality of the assassin as well as someone who, you know, could be influenced by Caravaggio's art and his attention to his work and, and all of that. But at the same time, the assassin is the assassin. Fair point. I was thinking about their explosiveness of their tempers and their uh, how they responded to adrenaline. Um, yeah, I would say that um, the, in some sense, they were opposites in the sense that Caravaggio was hot and the assassin was cold. So he was a cold-blooded killer. Right? He he would his his great um his personality was built around his patience. When he was hunting someone down, when he was hunting a victim, he was always um and uh, ensured that he could call on his own patience in order to find the right time and place to dispose of someone. Whereas Caravaggio, the artist, his um, explosiveness was hot. He would get overwhelmed by his energy. 
he would get angry. You know, he was very explosive in that sense. So when they they are, I mean, yes, there are similarities, but one was hot, one was cold. That was CHUO's Susan Johnston in conversation with Trillium Book Award winner Mark Frutkin about his latest acclaimed novel, The Artist and the Assassin. Thanks to all our patrons, volunteers, and donors. And thanks to the Government of Canada, the Government of Ontario, the City of Ottawa, the Ontario Arts Council, the Canada Council for the Arts, Ottawa Public Library, Carleton University, and CBC for their ongoing support. This podcast is produced by Aaron Flynn, original music and sound engineering by Mike Dubé, Kira Harris is our program director, and I'm Sean Wilson. Thank you for listening. Thank you.